Well, the finals are set. We got the Celtics versus the Warriors. And we are set up in LA ready to do a great show with former LSU Tiger and Super Bowl champion, Andrew Whitworth. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about prize picks. Available in almost 75% of the states. We're in the big ones too. Florida, California, Texas. And if you use the show code PIVOT, they'll match everything you put in up to $100. Bruh, that is free money. That's like betting on Michael Jordan back in the day that he ain't going to game seven in the finals. But stay tuned to the show and make sure whenever you make your picks on prize picks, you send them into the pivot and you can see how you fare against the guys. And along with me, you can beat Channing and Fred. Now, lock into Andrew Whitworth, but before you do that, lock in the prize picks. What up, what babe? Oh, <laughs> man. Hey, baby. That's good. Man, you get Always. smaller every time I see every you. Every time, bro. Looking good. That's that good life. What's up, dog? You good? That can't be little. That's little yeah. Whitworth. That can't be little. This is how y'all do it in LA, huh? This is the LA way. This is different, man. This ain't uh, this ain't Cincinnati. The little different in Cincinnati. I think we <laughs> think we ate lunch out of a closet when I first got there, so oh, it's a yeah. little different. Hold up. Limitless. Take a simic cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a simic cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Big wit, man. Welcome to the pivot. Obviously, we got Chan, Freaky Freddy. Happy Dad. We'll thank our sponsor. Uh, Happy Dad. You know, I want y'all to go out, man. Subscribe. Like whether it's YouTube, Apple, uh, Spotify, all of them, man. All the support is greatly appreciated. But shoot, that's actually a good segue. I got to talk about Happy Dad because, it, you know, we always go over different ways to start these interviews and to start these, um, shoot, it's really just conversations. And I was bouncing around between all kinds of different things because I've known you since you were 16, 17 years old. And, man, I can't get past the conversation you got to have with your kids after winning the Super Bowl. To be able to share that, man, with your children, for them to know that daddy's now gonna be home, what was that moment like? You know, it was really special. Obviously, you got that, that crazy feeling, the confetti's falling, you see your teammates celebrating, everybody's, you know, living their best life at that moment. And I kinda had this, just this quiet second where I was kinda sitting there and I was looking at all four of them and I was like, you know what? This is as good a time as any. And I'm one of those people that I guess just for me, I, I like to sometimes challenge myself. And I think that message was, was to them, but it was also to myself. Like, you know what, it's been about you for so long. Like for my wife, all the things she's had to do to, to put up with just the craziness of chasing, wanting to be great in a sport, wanting to be great at what I do, wanting to be a great teammate, a culture leader, all these things, all those sacrifices that, you know, your significant other has to make when, when you have kids and a life and all of that. So it was like, you know what, I want to make sure these kids hear from me personally. Like, hey, you know what, I, I got a chance to make this about y'all after this moment because I just got everything I could ever dream of playing this game. And I want you guys, no matter what your lane is, to know that I'm going to have your back the whole way just like you just had mine. You knew before you were going to have, that was it. Two Bowl was it. There was no question. There was nothing that would bring you back. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it's like I kept doing that every year. Like, I'm, I'm, I'll keep riding because I feel good. And I finally got to the point where it really wasn't football that was making me tired. It was the process. Like, I just getting from Monday to Sunday was getting so much harder. And it was making it to where I didn't enjoy the week. 
I just wanted to play in the game. And it, it wasn't like, oh, man, I, I don't want to practice. It was like, I want to practice. I want to have fun practicing. Like, I want to, like, prepare and enjoy myself and feel good. And it was to the point where it was, I could get to Sunday and feel okay as long as I didn't do anything else during the week. And that just wasn't, that wasn't living to me. It wasn't, it wasn't having fun. It, was, it, it wasn't good enough for the young guys to see. Like, it's, I used to take pride in the young guys seeing there's one way we do this thing. And that's how we gonna go about business all the time. And to only be able to really show that on Sundays, I think started to eat at me. And so I knew when we got to the playoffs, I was like, you know what? This is it, it's the final ride. I'm gonna give it everything I got and I'm gonna hope this thing works out. 16 years, how, how you feeling? Like, how do you really feel? Uh, there's obviously a lot of things that, that uh, probably at some point are gonna have to get addressed. Uh, I'm probably still in denial about that a little yeah. bit. But, you know, I, I feel pretty good for the most part. Is I mean, it really... still the Super Bowl high? You still riding that wave? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's so crazy. I always say, like, I guess when you win one when you're young, I guess as a young player, I, I can't imagine what the feeling is going forward. Like, it's not that you're not still chasing, but it's just a different feeling. But when you win one older, it's like, man, all right, look, I won the Super Bowl. It's amazing that I won it. But damn it, I gave everything I had to it. So <laughs> right. I ain't got nothing left. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's all I had. So it's still amazing. It's, it's unreal. It's hard to even think about. I had somebody the other day ask me, like, I was on the golf course. And a guy was like, you know, hey, I saw Melissa and the kids during the game in the fourth quarter before y'all started that drive. Like, she's in the back, like, in the, you know, basically on the ground covering her face. And the kids are, like, antsy in the suite. And it, like, gave me anxiety. Like, I was like, damn, we win that? did we win the game? Like, it just it made me think about it like that. And I was like, whoa. I clearly, like, I, I'm, like, not over that moment yet. Right, right. Because it actually made me nervous just hearing him kind of describe what my family looked like when he saw him watching the game. Man, you mentioned, like, the anxiety, you know, what, what your family's going through at the Super Bowl. I think sometimes, like, we don't even think of those things. And it's like what they're going through is magnified when you're on the field. But, bro, you're in the Super Bowl. It's your last game. And you freaking playing Cincinnati. You know what I'm saying? That had to be, like... Two worlds come all the way back together. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, you take, it, you take the Rams go from St. Louis, stay in L.A. Now you're playing in L.A. at SoFi, which, by the way, is the most crazy structure I've ever been in. But you're playing against the Cincinnati Bengals. Was there ever a moment to you that everything felt like, you know what? This is what it's supposed to be. And even when you're down and you're losing, like, you know, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm here to lose. I think the first time I had that feeling is actually when I watched Cincinnati make the kick against the Chiefs. When I saw them win that game, we were literally coming out the tunnel. Bigs are running on the field to get ready for our game against the Niners. And I was like, there is no way that I played there for 11 years <laughs> and this team going to Super Bowl and I'm not. There's no way it's about to happen. And so I just, I just had this feeling like we're we going to find a way to win this game and we're going to play in the Super Bowl, and we'll see what happens. And sure enough, it all happens, and we're going to play him, and I get in that game. And it, what was crazy about it is I think I'd been removed enough to not really know a lot of the guys, so it wasn't as familiar to me. Plus, I had the chance that I played him two years earlier in London, so I kind of already gotten over that playing for the first time vibe where you have a lot of emotion. So I was able to really, truly just be focused on the moment. And uh, it, it helped me to really not have to focus on what a special place that was to me for so long. Now, I want to ask you this, because uh, you, you were there for 11 years. And, and I think around that time, you know, by many standards, 
most organizations will think, you know, he's, you know, he's past his prime. Did you walk away from that situation on a good note? And did that motivate you any differently for the Super Bowl when you, you faced them? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we walked around on a good note, no, for sure. I, it, it ended like um, they had kind of made a decision the year before in the draft that they thought uh, probably going to be time to move on. And then I ended up playing well in a situation where I wanted to be treated that way. And it didn't happen. And, you know, I, I think the tough part is, is really, you know, for fans, they see the results. They see, all right, this guy leaves. But for me, it really wasn't free agency in 2017 that led to me leaving the Cincinnati Bengals. It was the draft in 2016. I had asked them to make me, not let me have to play the last year of my contract okay. without having any clue on what's going next. And they returned my question with drafting a first round and a second round left tackle. Uh, I don't know how many teams in history have ever done that, but <laughs> they did it. And uh, that was the reply. And so I was not happy about it. And they kind of told me, look, you know, we want you to be the same leader you are, but this is the decision we made, which I, I could respect. They were at least upfront about it. I still didn't mean I had to accept it. And so about mid-season that next year, the um, story most people don't know is I, I wrote Mike Brown a letter. And I said, look, I've, I've reached a point where I'm frustrated. And we're having an awesome start to our season. And the only thing I can think about is that for 10 years, I've done what I've done for you and been the leader you needed and the captain and all this stuff. And now I'm at a point where I'm begging you to, to treat me right. And you know what? You have the choice to make the decision you made. But I got the choice, too. And my choice is, at our bye week, I'll have made enough money to pay you back the prorated part of my contract. And I walk away, and I don't have to think about this anymore. Or you can do the right thing and take care of me the way you should. And basically, he used the response to my letter was, right, here's a one-year extension for around the number you signed your last extension for. And if you want it, I think you're correct, and you deserve that opportunity. So it took me a minute. And uh, I went back to him, and I respected that, one, he was honest with me from the front, and then, two, that he was willing to admit, like, you know what, I probably didn't handle it the best way, and you definitely deserve that opportunity. And so I signed the one-year extension, mainly because my family needed it, and it was what's best for us. And so I did it. And I think sometimes cats talk about hustling and all this type stuff, and to me, Hustling comes in a lot of different forms, and getting what's best for me and mine was what I thought was the best thing I could do to hustle, so I did it. Well, that's not normal. <laughs> did you write the owner? To write the owner? You, a handwritten letter? I did. That's not normal. Like, what, 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 what were you trying to get across? Like, I've never heard somebody write the owner. Bro, there's a head coach, the GM, there's people to make this decision with. You wrote the owner a letter and told him that you feel disrespect. You told him your side of it. Like, why, why, why that? Why do you think that was going to work? Because I think at the end of the day, we can all play the game, but there's one guy that's really deciding on whether you're getting your check or not. And uh, the money man, the guy with the money. And so I felt like all the things we'd been through in our time in Cincinnati, I mean, there's obviously, it's, it's not as glamorous at times as other organizations. Rightfully so, I get it. It's their, their only family business. But there's a lot of things you have to overcome, a lot of adversities. A lot of times I'd stood up for the organization. A lot of times I'd stood up for tough things that had gone on, whether it be guys wanting to leave the organization or 
tough things that we'd kind of gotten ourselves in the middle of and, and players and different things that had struggled. And so I felt like I'd always been there for them. I'd always stood up for them. And I'd always mentored and took care of every guy that ever came to that building. I mean, I think I had four or five rookies that lived with me their first year in the NFL because I would offer them a room and take care of them, you know, love on them. So I felt like I had always gone above and beyond. And so in this one instance, you're telling me just because you don't have a magic eight ball, you can't tell me whether you'd give me a year extension when you know I've earned it and I've done nothing but going above and beyond for you. I'm not going to accept that. Like, I, I, I expect us to treat each other the same way. And so I felt like it was a business encounter. And that's why I wrote him that letter. So I said, as a business, this is how I've always gone about mine and how I expect that you and I are going to continue our partnership. And you know what? He extended it, and we did it. Wait, why not just pull a Carson Palmer? You saw it already. You, have, you saw a guy just straight up, I'm, I'm going to keep it real, you saw a guy just give up on Cincinnati after getting paid, yep. right? And you've done all of these things, bro. You've been there for a decade. Like you said, going above and beyond in the sense of what even a leader is, not to mention a high-level, elite-level play at, what, after quarterback, the most important position on the offense. Right. Why would you decide that I'm going to write a handwritten letter when you had your quarterback, the guy who the franchise said, you know what, we're giving you the keys to this thing, and was actually trying to put something together around him, just get up and go. Why did you want to make sure you were different from that? Because I think, to me, like, who you are in adversity, who you are for guys when they need you is, is really, the, at the end of the day, the story that's going to be told about you. You can have glamorous moments. You can have all these moments you want. But if you're one of them cats that talks one thing and walks a different, uh, that will never leave you. And so I thought when the Carson thing went down, um, he was a guy that I looked up to and was a mentor to me. And I really, honestly, you know, changed a bunch of myself to be a lot like him as a leader. I looked up to him so much. The way he was able to bring guys together and, and who he was. But in that moment, I disagreed with his decision and to walk away and, and really the way he walked away. And so since I had shared that with him and that kind of led to a little bit of a strain in our relationship, I felt like here in this moment, uh, it can be about me, but at the same time, it needs to be about all the guys that I'm in this thing with and that I've made promises to to be here with and to fight through with. And so I really decided, you know what, this one more year uh, really puts me at a number that I thought for me and my family, I set it as a goal to try and make in this league when I started having success. So I took the one-year deal, and uh, the next year when they decided that I'd played so good they wanted me to stay even though they drafted these guys, I told him they could talk to my agent for the first time ever in my career, and that uh, we'll figure it out that way. You and you and Carson cool? Uh, we all right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, we'd speak if we talk. I mean, I, it sucks, you know, because I don't have many guys I've ever played with that I don't have a great relationship with. Um, always looked up to him. I mean, we were tight. Like, went to his house for Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that. And I had just gotten married, and Melissa kind of you know would come in town and we'd hang out with him and his wife. And so it was tough. I mean, it was it was tough to 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 go through that experience. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I think that really, when you think about um, 
a guy like Carson, I mean, at that time, he had, you know, it, when you're playing in Cincinnati, ain't a lot of cats making a lot of money. That's just the truth, right? Especially this is pre the cap situations where they've adjusted for cap and even and out the pay scale a little bit for guys across the league. But at that time, he's one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the game yeah. and the unquestioned leader of the team. And so for me, it wasn't really that you decide to do what's best for you and your family because I, I did something similar. It's really the way. It's like, did you fight for the guys on your way out the door? Did you try to make it different? Did you find a way to say, hey, in Cincinnati, guys shouldn't have to live like this. Guys shouldn't have to do this. Did you publicly address it? Did you speak up for people? You know, to me, if you're taking care of you and yours, and at the same time, you, you know, you and yours is also all these brothers that you're sitting in a locker room with claiming we riding together, right? And especially when you're playing the quarterback position, you're asking five guys to protect you with their life, right? So And your voice is huge. Yeah, I mean, everyone's listening to you. So it just put a lot of us in a tough situation, and that's really what I conveyed to him. That's, it wasn't, hey, man, still love you to death. I just don't think it's the right move. And that was it. That's, it was that simple. You know, you had that situation of being in Cincinnati for a decade and then, you know, leaving, finding success as well in Los Angeles. And you've played with a number one overall pick with a high level of talent who was maybe in the city or with an organization that couldn't put it together around him. You got an opportunity to go to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. The Rams decide, you know what, he can't quite get us over this hump. And they make a trade for Matthew Stafford, who was, like I said, in one of those positions that Carson Palmer had been in, yep. right? One of the elite talents. People always said, if, and if they could, and when he gets. And he finally gets in this position to be with the team that could put the pieces around him. Did you feel an immediate change or an immediate shift in energy when Matthew stepped into the, into the building? Yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's a mixture of age matters, like especially at the quarterback position, the experience, being in those moments. Um, I think when you met Matthew, you realize, man, this guy's seen it all. He's been through a lot of adversity in his career. And I think that for him, it was like, wow, I'm getting this opportunity to finally play in a spot in an organization where I feel like we got a chance to be successful. On the flip side, for Jared, it's a, it's there's things he shouldn't know yet because he hadn't been there yet. He hadn't been through all of it yet. He's not old enough yet to see all the defenses, all the looks, all the coverages, all the ways somebody's going to play with you. And, and I think really the biggest difference that really helped us at, at the end of the day is that Matthew had been around long enough to, to challenge Sean and to be there to say, hey, you know what? I've done this before, but it didn't work this time. And maybe I would have done it a little differently. And I know you want to have this idea, but maybe there's a new wrinkle. And I think they could almost be counterparts rather than really like Sean coaching Jared and mentoring Jared how to be a quarterback in the NFL. Now, all of a sudden, this guy knows how to play quarterback. It's how can we run the most efficient, effective plays all the time and get ourselves in every down, having a chance to have an answer. You were instrumental in bringing Marvin Lewis to yeah. the last game of the season. So you wanted to bring back the guy that was doing that. This whole young guru thing. This just happened. These yeah. young gurus, these 35-year-old offensive geniuses or defensive geniuses that come in and they give them these head coaching jobs. How do you feel about that? Because you play for the OG and you play for a guru. And now you're older than your coach, though. <laughs> a lot. You're sitting in a room, and to be honest with, you're richer, you're older, you have more kids. Like, you, you could school your coach. Like, how, how is that feeling with McVay? And he is a damn genius. I love X and O football. He's a genius. 
But what's that feeling when you're an OG for your damn head coach? You know, it's pretty wild. I mean, walking into a building with Sean, I think that the first thing that, uh, that blew you away is like you walk up and you realize how young he is, but also how dynamic he is. And I think that he is obviously a genius, and he obviously does things that uh, – he, he, he does a great job of putting defense in really tough positions all the time. But I think that it's kind of like when you sometimes as a player feel like somebody gives you a compliment – but in some ways, you feel like it's disrespectful because it doesn't really tell the whole picture. I think Sean McVay is one of those people that the, the genius offensive guru is almost an insult because really what he really is is a tremendous leader. He is one of the rarest people at owning a room and a moment in front of his team and being there to talk about things that really do matter at the end of the day. Like when adversity hits, tough times hit, can we communicate? Like, are we able to have tough conversations but be real with one another and at the same time realize all of us have the same goal? And he has an ability at a really young age to be able to do that that's really rare. And, and I think that's what's special about him is that that culture, that communication, those are truly the most important things to him. And they're what he excels at. And, and they make him a guy who there's a lot of cats out there that can talk X's and O's. Yeah but there's a lot of people that don't want to hear him talk, right? And it's like, man, this dude, he gets on my nerves. I don't want to hear anything he has to say. He might be really smart, but he has an ability to communicate and lead that's rare of rare. I mean, it's, he's a one-on-one -on -one when it comes to that. You know, we talk about it all the time. When I see him, my last year, he was, it was his first year as an OC in Washington. And on Monday, it was only two offices I would go to, go to. Now, we weren't very good, so it was mostly after losses, right, when people don't really want to talk. And I would go to Sean's office every week, and we'd never talk about actual ball. We'd talk about, okay, RC, what would you want to hear in the meeting today? How would you want to be addressed when you get to the, you know, to you get to the defensive meetings and all these questions, how, do, how would you want your room to feel, these different things? And I could tell then, I was like, he's not preparing to just coach offensive football. He's preparing to be a leader of men. And I think that's one of the things you feel every time that you're around him. But even for you in that situation, not only thinking about the dynamic between you and head coach, y'all ended up assembling a team, bro, that ended up being a team of stars. It was like the Monstars, where you go out, you get Vaughn. You get, you get OBJ after coming from Cleveland, not necessarily being successful when you already, already have Cooper Cup. You have a, a Van Jefferson. You have a Tyler Higby. Cam Akers gets healthy. You, you already have Jalen. You have AD. What was the dynamic like in that locker room? Because you got the OG, right, who has an opportunity to be a Hall of Famer in the future, who's understanding his career is coming to and still leading, but now you have these young, dynamic players who are leaders too in LA that had to be a vibe that needed to be directed to win championships. Yeah. And I think that's really where you see how rare Sean McVay is, is that when you start adding those kind of dynamics, uh, don't get it twisted. Sean's a, Sean's an LA guy himself. I mean, this guy, I don't know if there's many guys that enjoy LA more than Sean, but you know, at the same time, he understood what's really important. And that is that you got a lot of guys that you just listed that people have all their different labels for and talks about. But what I know about every single one of the guys you just listed is they love football and they love the game of football and they want to compete. And so Sean would make the main thing the main thing. Like, let's talk about things like, hey, how do we be the best football team every, each and every Sunday? I don't give a crap what you wear to the meeting. 
I don't give a crap how you do certain things when you walk out of this building, as long as it is in conjunction with us being winning football players and getting on the field and being part of your team. And if it's a we, not me mentality that we're all in this thing together to win, um, and the most important thing is that we're the best version of ourselves each and every day, and we're finding that way to get a little bit better every time we step on the field, then all that other stuff is just stuff that's not important to me. And I think that's really to him what was most important and what you had to keep with that kind of group. And I think that you really saw it, how much those guys cared about one another, the love and respect that was there. You know, when you got those kind of superstars out on the field, it was rare. I mean, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever been in because I felt like at one point I'm looking around the field going, these are all cats from different places that I was like, man, I used to be a fan of watching them do their thing, how good they were. And, and now to all be on the same field together, uh, it was one of the craziest experiences ever. Hey, wait, let me say this, man. Uh, earlier you spoke about loving on the rookies, opening your doors for them. A lot of selfless acts, right? You yourself, Walter Payton Man of the Year, congrats. Appreciate I it. saw you post a picture on Instagram with him <laughs> in the seatbelt <laughs> right there, and you had a caption said, we need each other. First of all, I don't know if you have that one, which you, you brought another trophy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. I was going to show you a little something. Yeah, we got to see that yeah, thing right there. I, just, I brought a friend with me. Uh, uh, yeah. I know. You don't have to say that. Well, the reason I'm saying I feel eyes, some type of way. I know you've seen this see before. It. It's such a familiarity. Yeah, you familiar with it. When you pulled it out. I feel you know at home. Saying? Freddy. I know. I, Fred, Fred, Fred. We ain't going to get far. Leave him alone. We're not going to get far. <laughs> Right. Y'all want to sit right here? I, just in case y'all want to get a little closer, <laughs> I'll sit right there. The Tigers, Tigers are two up on the Gators. Hey, the Tigers are two up on the Gators right now, go. man. <laughs> LSU, baby. After saying we need each other, you posted a message about hate. You know, in the wake of what, what everything that's going on recently here in, in the United States, a lot of hate crimes, this and that, the other. Could you recite that, your quote, your caption from that, from that post? You know, I, tr I do my best. There's a lot of things in the world, I think, that are always going to be what they are, and they, they're going to create an emotional response. And I just try to make sure that I understand that no different than as an athlete um, or a father or a husband, that I'm trying to be better at what I do each and every day um, as a person. And, and, and when it comes to loving on people, I just believe that the answer isn't going to, you know, meet hate with hate. But the answer is going to be to, to not let those things discourage me, not let those things get me distracted. Because I think that's what it is sometimes. It's that you get distracted about one act. And the reality is we got to keep attacking the big picture. And that is that we got to get on the same page. And we got to create opportunities, equalities, all these things that everyone's sitting on the same page. Right. And to me, that's the most important thing in life is that anytime I can do something that's about not myself, but the people that live life with me and the communities that I get to go in and be a part of and improve their life, then that's all that matters. Right. And I think that comes from a place of love. And so I, I always want, you know, sometimes you're talking to yourself and you talk to other people at the same time. And, and for me, it's like I wanted to remind myself that, all right, as mad as I am, and as mad as I want to say a bunch of things that sometimes can come off as an emotional reaction, I want to make sure they come from a place of love and a, and a, and a place of, I want to make a difference. I don't want somebody to pay for the crimes. I want somebody to, to make a difference with them. And, and I think that that's the thing. I want, I, want to, I want to find positivity in the situation of how we can make change that matters. With that thought, with 16 years grinding, balling, you know what I'm saying, doing your thing, Super Bowl, all the, the Pro Bowls and all that, why care? 
Like, you have kids. Like, you talking about it with your kids, Melissa, your wife, and all. And I got some questions. You know, I, I got some good questions. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. We'll get to that. But even that, like, like you were That's riding a different so long, segment. But all right. And, bro, and you said you retired because you wanted to spend more time with your daughters, yeah. with your wife. You want to do all that. So you're, you're worried about ball. You're worried about your family, your wife, raising your kids, making them great people. Why the hell care about people? Why the hell do you win Walter Payton Man of the Year? Why, why do you put so much in the community, bro? You have so much on your own plate. Why put? Why scoop some of that into another plate? Why? Because uh, I, I just believe wholeheartedly that uh, exactly what I said and people made fun of after the 2018 Super Bowl when I lost, I said that at the end of the day, we're all going to die. It doesn't matter how many times you win a Super Bowl or Pro Bowls. Like, who I am in adversity, who I am for people that believe in me and my brothers and sisters in life that need me, and who I am for people that don't even know me is the only thing that's going to matter when I'm dead and gone. The money, this trophy, the Walter Payton Man of the Year trophy, all that stuff going to rust and be gone. But the impact I make on people and the impact that I make on communities um, that maybe they believe in themselves a little bit more. Maybe they feel a little bit of love just from appreciation. Um, no matter what their zip code is, their skin color, or where they come from, it don't matter. Like, they're cared about. To me, that's a legacy that lasts forever and the only legacy I care about. And so when you say me sitting down with my kids, I think at the same time, I believe that all those things start at my dinner table. My kids learning how to respect people, love people, and appreciate people no matter where they come from is the number one goal that's way bigger than that Lombardi Trophy because that's where community starts, is sitting at my dinner table, looking my wife in the eye, my two sons and my two girls in the eye, and making sure they understand that it will never be acceptable to carry my name and disrespect people, be ugly to people, or treat people different based off of what they look like or where they come from. Mm. Like, I remember the Andrew Whitworth LSU campus sightings. Whitworth's gonna be here, Whitworth's gonna be here. Right, he had hair then. I don't think he decided to go bald. He on my team now. He went on my team. Hey, yeah. you know, hey, listen, listen, <laughs> at, you know, at that point, I'm mad anyway, because he went to West Monroe. We couldn't beat him in high school. Yeah. But I think about our friendship now, uh, things that things that we learned about one another uh, when you know you go to school at the same place, you're on the same practice fields, but the differences in just the places that we're from, right? Me being from the West Bank of New Orleans, you being from the North, right, from West Monroe, all of those things you sit and you tell your kids, right? Like, I, I remember being 21 and being and coming into the NFL and who I am now at 42. And the same for you. How do you take the lessons you've learned and give those to your children, right? Because what I've learned is my kids have aged and they've grown, they've grown up differently from me. There are some lessons I learned from conversation, some lessons I learned from interaction, some lessons I've learned from altercations that I don't even want my kids to have. But they're the things that made me Ryan now. How do you communicate those messages to your kids when they're going to grow up in L.A.? They're going to grow up in a different place. They're going to grow up with money that you didn't have. You know, what do, what do you try to focus on when parenting them? Not as the Walter Payton Man of the Year, but as Andrew Whitworth. I think really it's, it's about the opportunity to explain to them and, and be honest with them that, you know what, dad grew up in a different time. And let me explain to you some things I did right. Let me explain to you some things I did wrong. And, you know, and, and I think that uh, for lack of knowledge and lack of realizing what's out there, I think that that's the problem kids can have today is maybe they don't know the situations other people are in. I know just for me, having conversations with people in L.A. who think that things are a certain way, and I'm like, you ain't live where I've lived. 
Like, it ain't this way you think it is, and it ain't as good as you think it is, and you describe it. Like, it's it's different everywhere. Everybody's got a different experience where they grew up and where they're from. I mean, I think of even just me growing up and, and realizing now at this age, I understand everything. I get what's out there. I get thoughts that I didn't even realize, you know, like, just, just the simple things of how many high schools I can think of that flew the rebel flag when I was in high school, right? You did that now, like there's no chance. But at that time, I think of like, wow, man, like I grew up in an era where there wasn't no phones, there wasn't no social media, like people recording everything you did. And so it's almost like the excuse of just sometimes, hey, I, I didn't know better. Our kids aren't gonna get that chance because every single thing they do is gonna be recorded. And every single thing they do is gonna be documented. And so they need to have those conversations before they're put in those situations. And so that they understand what they're facing and what's out there and what those issues are important. And so I think for me, it's sometimes sitting down and be able to have the uncomfortable conversations with my own kids. And maybe sometimes that, that dampens their light on their dad and being like, you know what, like, wow, you, you lived in a time where it was like this, or you, you made this mistake and treated this person wrong or that person wrong, or you made, you know, you made a bad decision in college about drinking or whatever it is, right? Just any mistake, but just being willing to say, you know what, the best way I can teach them is the stories I actually know and the things I've actually heard of. And maybe that hurts their feelings a little bit, but my kids aren't gonna grow up like I did. So I gotta give them that opportunity to understand what's out there. The fat boys don't get the bad girls. <laughs> The fat boys don't get the bad girls. I don't know. Is he talk, who's he talking to? Talking that, to that, that's what I call linemen, y'all. Oh, the fat okay. boys. The big boys. Big boys, Chad. Big boys. We're not really fat like that, man. No, Whit put his... Whit, you put your hands on me one time, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Up in Cincinnati, I don't appreciate it when you put your hand on me in Cincinnati. My bad. But you married Miss Louisiana. Yeah. Melissa, you brought her up twice now. If people don't know, you married Miss Louisiana. Yep. I need to know what was that first line, because I call, I got my wife by calling her Sugarfoot. <laughs> I say, hey, hey, Sugarfoot. And then people, women hear Sugarfoot, they're like, what does Sugarfoot mean? But that's my end. How the hell do you get Miss Louisiana, bro? I don't even explain it. I must have had a good mouthpiece at the time, because. What was the, what, no, you remember the first the only conversation. Thing she, only thing she remembers from it is I think I had, like, you know, a sideways hat on, some Sean John shorts, and like a. <laughs> Fat Farm T-shirt, and she was just like, "What? What exactly are you wearing right now?" <laughs> she, she, uh, she realized I was, I was, you know, an interesting cat. Let's put it that way. But I think what I said was, "I'm Andrew Whitworth," and what that means is, I have wit and I'm worth it. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's it. I got hey, a slot. Tigers. That's what, what we that? do. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, hey, Sugarfoot is better than that any day. No. What's Sugarfoot? Let's get into it. That's, that's just something you call a woman, and it makes them think about it, and they say, what does that mean? Then I say, well, baby, and you could bring them on over. Bro, I can school y'all in game all day. I had game. It's not better than though I got wit and I'm worth it, though. No, no, no. That was dope. I, my that was dope. Crowder. My last name's Crowder. What the fuck I'm going to say? You want to be with the crowd and <laughs> her? Like, yeah, this shit don't work. That sounds creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, with that relationship, with, you know, as long as you've been with your wife, all the kids and all, like, was there ever a struggle because oh. the, the football balance to the relationship balance? Yeah, I mean, at one time, we had four, three, and under. So uh, life was a little bit crazy, right? I mean, we were three, three, two, and a newborn at one time. Mm. So it was... uh like misery. Whew, it was intense, you know? So there's a lot of things that I think even when you in that chase to be great, right, that I think now it's easier for me to look back and go, man, I, I should have done something different. But I don't even think I was aware of it at the moment. I think I really just was chasing 
trying to be successful, trying to be a great leader and a teammate and all these things that would lead to us having more success on the field. And I think the more I look back at it and the more I'm around the kids and realize how tough that had to be in for her, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's more that, you know, that's part of it. When I think about the Lombardi Trophy, when I think about Walter Payton Man of the Year, I think about her as well and, and the sacrifices she had to make to give me that opportunity to be the man I am. What's the action like the night you win a Super Bowl? Oh, man, you know. You got after it? He don't know. Oh, we true. know. Actually, you, yeah, yeah we, we don't know. <laughs> well, I got a national That's true. You actually don't know. My fault. Uh, yeah. Wait, no, you don't have to, you don't my have fault. to rub it I, in, I, bro. That's my bad, bro. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, like, is it, is it different? Is it? it was different. It was different. It was a Super Bowl performance. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but you tired. MVP. But you're tired, though. You play the whole game. You can't really, you know, you can't keep your back cocked like you want to keep it cocked. I mean, uh, you know what? Hey, in that moment, you're living off a lot of adrenaline. I can promise you that. <laughs> hey, my dog knew he wasn't going to play football no more after that either, so yeah, you can I throw the back out. I had a little extra energy. Since Channing already got to it, let's stay on football and stay, keep the pivot over there, right? <laughs> you got ejected in a preseason game. <laughs> my former teammate, John Henderson. Yeah. No, that's regular season. That, that was regular season. season. Oh, yeah, yeah. What what big hand do to you, man? What, what you got ejected you know, a couple I, times with? Yeah, I think you know. I think it was kind of a mixture of things. So I'd actually had a little tussle with his boy Albert a couple weeks before, Haynesworth, and so we'd gotten into it a little bit. So I think there was kind of some, <laughs> you know, you mess with my Tennessee boys, you know, type stuff. I remember, you know, fifty yard line. That was back in the day, right? Like, yeah. It wasn't all the like cameras everywhere. Cats standing at the fifty yard line, pointing you out, telling you this, you know, this is how it's gonna go. So we kind of had a tussle all game, but we was cool. And then lo and behold, you know, Chad, y'all know how Chad is. Chad, Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, whatever you want to be called. I knew him before both names, so I can call him either one. It's like knowing somebody before they get married, right? So <laughs> I call him whatever I want. But he, he decides during the TV timeout, he going to start, you know, mess him and TJ. They love to do it. Start talking to the D-line yeah. and talking smack. We were winning. And he get Big John mad, and that's a big man. And that man get mad. Yeah, he's big. You got to be ready. So I was... Country boy from Louisiana, I'm ready. Like, hey, I'm all about that action. So I'm pretty sure <laughs> we got this tussling, and then I think that I'm pretty sure there's a snap. Uh, they snapped the ball, and I'm pretty sure I may have thrown like a left just straight off the snap. And we got to tussling, and he kind of ripped my helmet off. I like run to get my helmet, and right when I stood up from getting my helmet, I felt these just enormous paws wrap around my face. And there's actually a picture online where you can see, like, literally, he's got both fingers in my eyeballs. And <laughs> I turned around and we went to throwing haymakers and both of us got ejected and uh, you know what? I actually I've been ejected twice though. Right. So that's I what, can't yeah. even What was the second time? Second time was uh Lamar Houston in Cincinnati, actually playing, I think I think Carson might have been on the Raiders at that time. We were playing the Raiders in Cincinnati. And it was one of those like dead ball, you know, third down. They blew the crowd was loud, somebody false started or something, they blew it dead, and Lamar didn't hear it. So he ran and grabbed Andy and like slammed him. And right when he came from the other side, and so I like saw Andy get slammed, and I just went over there and took off, and, like dived on him, and hey, we really didn't even throw no punches, but they threw us out of the game just for tussling. But that's, that's not bad though. Only two ejections, two hundred and forty games. Yeah, something like that. Not too bad. Yeah, bro, you're not supposed to get ejected ever. I right? mean, but two hundred and forty games, you're gonna have some freak. You gotta get some street cred every now and then, right? Really, who really? I ask people this a lot of different venues yeah. of life. Rappers I've asked and different players, NBA guys. Who really in the NFL wants that smoke? Who wants to get your big country Louisiana ass to throw something at them? 
I mean, probably not many people at the end of the day, well, just because you just you just big. I mean, right? If anybody's been around fighting knows, all it takes is one. Yeah. You get caught with the wrong one, it might be an elbow. It it gonna hurt. It's right? gonna be a little sleep. So yeah, they're not much. Now, you know, the real truth of the story though is that John Henderson, the background to that is we were 0-8 that season. And that's actually when I became, I always tell the story, that's when I actually became the captain of the Cincinnati Bengals, is we had a walkthrough the day before the game. And I pulled the offense up and just literally, like, went off about how I was just tired of losing. I'd never been anywhere and lost. When I was at LSU, we won. When I was at West Monroe, we won a ton. I'd never been that way and accepted it. And I felt like guys just were cool with, like, we just try to play, make a check, and we all right, we're losing. And I could not take it. I, like, blew a gasket off about how I will, you know, you can win, lose, whatever, but I will never just be somebody's punching bag ever in life. And so sure enough, lo and behold, how God works, the next day I get in this situation where the biggest, baddest dude on the whole team <laughs> wants to whoop me. Want to lock up. Hey, like I said, if you're going to talk it, you got to be able to walk it. Was that like so, 07, 08 or something? It was 08. I was playing guard. Yeah, I remember we, 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 we lost to you. I remember yeah. that. So it wasn't preseason. We, yeah, I remember losing season. that game. Yeah. I think it was like 21 nothing. Y'all ended up coming back. Almost yeah. beat us. Yeah. And we won at the I end. I do remember that game. I wasn't in the game. I was in the locker room. But so <laughs> I got in that situation, and I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be about it, I got to show it. So I did it, and then I stood in the tunnel when the game ended and waited on everybody, and I just dabbed up, hugged, love, all that. And the next year, I was voted the captain. I was captain for the next, you know, 12 years of my career. Kick some ass, get a captain patch. Stay in the tunnel when you got kicked out of the game? Well, I hung out in the locker room, but I, I ran out to the tunnel once we won just to greet everybody. Like Draymond did know. just, like, recently when they ejected Draymond. I got Draymond. kicked out of the game, and they made me get in my car. Because you got to be a certain level. You have, you have to be a... I think I went and got a. Uh, Were you dressed went, for the game though, or? What? I was playing, oh, and then okay. me and Matt Light started fighting the same way that you yeah. and John started fighting, and then but once we got leave? back to the tunnel, the words that I, me and Matt Light said to each other, and then when I went and got my my uh, pocket knife. <laughs> then they were like, you got to get back in your truck. Oh, that might have been why you gonna, had to leave. Yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. going to let this happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weapons on NFL properties usually <laughs> an issue. Yeah, it's like it's not, it's not only against league rules. Yeah. It's actually illegal if you right. use that anywhere you use it. That's right. Yeah, so my advice to you would be, as somebody else who's also a captain, mm -hmm. to not do that. Oh, they Which, never made me a captain. But you're also a Super Bowl champion, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. So. Damn, you gonna do that with? My fault. I just we, we talked about this rubbing, the, we were, rubbing life in. My like. fault. No, we were. I thought we were just <laughs> all <laughs> accolades. We were. 240 games. You started 235 of those. Multiple All Pros, multiple Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champ, Walter Payton Man of the Year, a ton of accolades. You belong in Canton. Oh man. Uh, I, I I feel like that's one of those things that your uh, resume should speak for itself and. You know, I think the only one that, that kind of eats at me a little bit uh, is that uh, I finished second in all-time wins as a lineman by one game, which I blame Sean McVay just because right. we sat out one week. You know, we already locked up the playoffs. <laughs> I don't count the games I actually missed. I'm only counting the one where he didn't let me play, <laughs> right? So, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of them, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of cool accolades. Most of them, unfortunately, have to do with being old. But uh, yeah. it's uh, it's amazing, man. To, well, to why would you say that though? It, it speaks a lot to. It does. I mean, you know, I think I'm, I'm the oldest left tackle to ever play in the Pro Bowl, the oldest one to ever play in the Super Bowl, the oldest one to ever start an NFL game. Pretty sure I'm probably the oldest All Pro ever too, uh, as right. far as the left tackles go. So there's a lot of cool accolades like that. Um, I joke on that just because I want to be self-deprecating a little bit, but. You know, I think it's one of those things. Look, I've won a lot of football games. Um, everywhere I've been, we've won. 
You know, we couldn't find a way to win a playoff game in Cincinnati, but we won a lot of daggum football games. And then really in L.A., same thing. We won and had a lot of chances and finally took advantage of them. So I think if you really look at wins and success on the field um, and longevity, I think that I should have as good a case as anybody else. I but agree no, with that. But I, I, you brought up Ogden earlier. You said something about Ogden. Yeah, I'll be up. J.O. J.O.'s a monster. And uh, Joe Thomas, monster. Yep. And Joe Thomas played on a terrible team. I, you won a Super Bowl, but in Cincinnati, y'all weren't doing nothing. Yeah. Were you as talented as Jonathan Ogden, Joe Thomas? Are you on that level? Well, I think Jonathan Ogden's a, uh, you know, a guy that is probably one of the rarest humans on earth when you talk about size, ability to move, all that. And I don't think it really goes down to talent as much as production. I mean, I think he obviously was an, an insane yeah. player. I think Joe Thomas the same way. I mean, his ability to move and pass protect was – uh, exceptional and, and really rare. But I think there's also something that has to be said with your ability to affect winning and losing because I mm -hmm. think you really look at some of the greatest athletes and productive players in, in the world that we all look up to. I mean, does people talk about Michael Jordan and Kobe the way they do if they don't have the championships? Nope. You know, and so there's plenty of those guys that, in my opinion, a lot of times it comes to linemen, unfortunately, because you don't have statistics that really matter, that it's like you can't make your mind up. Is it public perception? Is it winning? Is it talent? What, what is the actual marker? So to me, no different than every athlete that's a quarterback that has a ton of production, doesn't ever win anything. They always say that's countless production. Well, I've won, I've produced, and I've been there for longer than anybody else. I mean, I believe you're a Hall of Famer. Me you know, too. we were talking about it on the way over, but I think something has to be said, not only for longevity and durability, but sustainability, to be able to play at a consistently high level for that number of years. It's not necessarily just that you're able to get out there. It's that I'm able to get out there, and I'm not just competing. I'm excelling. Right. And I believe that whoever gets the opportunity, whether it's a reporter from Cincinnati, a reporter from L.A., if they double-team it or whatever, when they get an opportunity to stand in front of a room and put in front of people, this is who he was drafted as, too. Right when you know when you mentioned the Jonathan Ogdens and the Joe Thomases, they were thought to be something, and not in a negative way that Andrew wasn't because he would have been drafted where they were. Yep. So to build yourself into that and to become the man that you became in the league, I think is 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 what at least ultimately is going to have me sitting in some crowd in Canton. Hopefully it's not raining, you know, watching you receive your gold jacket. But on the other side of that, a man who put together that type of career, we're sitting here and we're in the Rams' house where they conducted, if you want to call it a draft that they yeah. had this year, where they conducted their draft. What advice would you give to young rookies, not only stepping into this organization, but hearing their name calls or just getting the phone call to have an opportunity to be a part of the NFL now? Uh, I mean, for me, it's it's wild how much the league has changed since I got in it. I think that advice would change at every different part of my career that, that I've gotten to watch the game grow. You know, I mean, to think that uh, when I sit and reflect, uh, to play in three different decades of, of the NFL, right? I mean, to play it's crazy. 06 to 10, to play 10 to 20, and now 20 to 22, like, I've seen the game change so much. And what's really required of you? And, and I've also seen the athlete change and all the distractions, all the things that are out there now from when I got in the game to now, it's, it's insane. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine the pressure that some of these kids feel that's really created from a lot of circumstances that are just a part of their life now. You, you, it's a lot easier to tell somebody like me, hey man, don't pay attention to social media or what somebody's saying, 
but these kids, they grew up with it. That's all they ever did. That's where they, they their love and communication, a lot of the time, that's exactly where it came from. And so everything they've ever been in high school and college is praised. And now to have to deal with being told you're not good or you're critiqued. I think the toughest thing really to, to really tell those young people is, is obviously the, the normal things physically is that is put your head down and grind and realize that, uh, you know, it'll be greater later. You know, the more the more you'll put in, the more time you'll put into being successful, uh, you'll have a chance to enjoy all that down the road. But then also learn to realize that, you know what, the opinion of people doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't make you something, you know, anybody's perception of you, you know, doesn't really matter. I, mean, I tell our young guys all the time, never let somebody's perception of you become your reality. Never let what somebody says become the reality because you react to it and become who they say you are. You know, you got to be, you got to learn how to put that aside and just go after your dreams and what it is you want to be and be yourself most importantly. And, and so to me, I think that's the keys. If you can learn how to be yourself, you can learn how to not let people's perceptions label you and you, you have a dream and an aspiration to be something and just put your head down and realize that if you'll keep grinding, you'll keep working that way, you'll get there eventually. And when you talk about the social media stuff, Melissa got into it. <laughs> NFC Championship game. Oh, yeah. That was 49ers, Louisiana. Like, and you came to the defense, which I love it as a husband. You came to the defense. But so you have to be involved with it. You seem like you don't really. That wasn't a fun conversation. I want to embrace that. it. But like, what's that like when you have to now defend your wife on social media? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's one of those things that really would never come to that. And, and I think uh, Joe and I obviously had a great conversation about Joe Staley. Yeah. I could see where he was a little confused on what he was trying to do, but I, it, my simple explanation to him was, is just this. Like, you know what? Sometimes our women can be our protectors, and sometimes your family, your mama, everybody, they're going to reach out and try to protect you in one way, form, or fashion, right? But at the end of the day, as a player and the guys that have played this game, like, don't ever tweet at our significant others. Don't ever tweet at our mama or at our wife or at our kids. Like, leave that alone. Like, there's a lot of ways you can accomplish all the things you want to do, and I get it. It was just trying to create a good little rivalry on Twitter. But once you kind of put it as an okay to do that, you create all the crazies out there that aren't as respectful and they don't come from a good place that now feel like that's okay, right? And I think the least thing we can do with social media as players and guys who respect the game is to make sure the same thing we would want. Nobody touching our family. Like, don't, don't, don't address anybody else's family, right? Like, just, yeah. we can let that go. You know, take on any issue you want to. Just leave that one alone. And that's, oh, uh, that's the conversation we had. And, and, and I thought that, you know, it wasn't from a, an evil place. It was just more of a man-to-man. Like, hey, I just think that's a good way for all of us to go forward. And uh, we had a clear understanding on that, and, and we're cool on it. I mean, I think he, he respected it, and we were good. We've come a long way, man. 2006. Entering the NFL. It's your second year. They switch you to left guard, right? Yep. Then you move back to tackle. 11 years at one organization, five years at another. Super Bowl champ, Walter Payton Man of the Year. Just an amazing career, man. Um, what's next? You know, um, the game of football is something I love. And, and I think for me, it's going to be obviously a lot of time with my family, a lot of time with my wife and kids. And uh, you know what, because of what I've done for a living, uh, they love the game of football as well. Right. They got a passion to be around it too. And so I think for us, it's finding a way that I can be involved in the game still, whether that's, you know, 
working with an organization, whether that's in the media, finding a spot that's good for me to, to be able to talk about the game and be in some way invested in it because I love it too much. It's done too much for me and my family, and our family respects and loves it too much to walk away from it completely. So it's really just finding the next chapter in the game of football and what that looks like. But let me say, no, but he, you ain't going to be no regional scout. No, they ain't. You're happening. not going to make the money no, you're making happening. now to go and looking at Western Kentucky players. Like, no, no, it's not that. just any football stuff. Like, what you going to do, bro? What's the next step of Whitworth? I think for me, really, it's going to really come down to one of two things. I'm going to either uh, be somewhere running an organization or somewhere sitting on a set talking about the game of football. So it's really, you know, whether that's calling a game, talking about a game, or, or managing a team. I mean, I think that's what I've always loved to do, and I love culture, and I love – those things, so I'm either going to be talking about them or doing them. And uh, to me, that's that's the ultimate goal. I'm from the suburbs. I didn't grow up in the country like with You don't put the the cart before the horse. What's 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 the saying? You think the cart can go with the horse in the back? But why they got to have a cart anyway? It's besides the point. I'm trying to get to a point. <laughs> okay. I know we're not supposed to put whatever the hell the horse is pulling <laughs> in front well, of the horse. The horse got to be in front of the guy. Yeah, you ain't gonna do that, right? Don't put the back in the front. But you know what? It's it's not a lot of time, man. That that you get you know, before they make a decision on whether or not you do get an opportunity to be counted amongst the greatest to have ever played. Have you given any thought that if that time comes, if you get that knock on the door and they say, you know, Andrew Whitworth, you're a Hall of Famer, who your presenter will be? Wow. That's, that's, uh, I really hadn't. I mean, I, I think that, um, there's going to be a lot of people that have been really special to my career. And I, I, that's been the fun part, really, of these last couple months retiring is, you know, it's uh, once you finally say you're done, it's like everybody finally comes out and just tells you all the things they wanted to tell you for forever. So it's been fun to hear that and, and, and to really see how many people have been really a part of the journey. I mean, it's been wild. I mean, I told somebody the other day, I think this will be the first August I'm not in training camp for 25 years or something like that. So that's crazy. It's just wild to even think about. And I think for me, it's going to be one of those things I'm going to have to sit and reflect and think about, uh, one, who would do the best job to do that, and, and two, it's going to be a tough tough decision because there's so many people who have had such an awesome impact on me. I mean, I, you think of Sean McVay and what he's been to me recently in this career and our relationship and how tight it is, and I've learned so many different things from him that really have helped me grow into a better person, leader, father, everything, made me more accountable. But then also... Marvin Lewis and just the man he is and, and what a good man he's been to me and my team and, you know, even having him at my last game this year, how special that was. To, to hear how many, like, even just in the couple minutes I was with him, how many players' wives, like, from our old team still reach out to him and give him reports on their husbands and how they're doing and how much that means to him. Like, like they're his kids. Like, he's their father. What a cool impact he's had on my career. I just, I just think there's so many people that I could think about on that list that uh, that's going to be one of those decisions going to be really tough to make. I think the tougher decision really um, at the end of the day, after playing 11 years in Cincy and then playing five years here in L.A. with the Rams, have you officially retired? Have you signed? I have not signed. Okay, so have you decided if you're going to retire Bengal or Ram? I think that's decide. a tough decision. I'm, just if I'm trying to decide if I'm going to pull an Eric Weddle eventually at some point. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking for that gig. Where's the right. three games, four games, and Super Bowl? That's, I'm yeah, trying to, that makes sense. I'm trying to catch that one first. What, right? 16 years? You got a hell of a severance coming. Yeah, you're right. Man. Get you that right. check, Get that check, big homie. You're right. No, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I, I think it's one of those things my wife and I talked about the whole time we're here because 
going to the Super Bowl in 18, we were like, all right, we've only been here, you know, really two seasons. Right. Would we retire Rams if we win this Super Bowl, right? And then I think really as our time here expanded and really what we've become to this community and, and the ways we've been able to invest, uh, I think it's so special to us. I mean, right now just – it's awesome to be able to drive in, in almost any community in L.A. and forget football, but, like, have people I can hug their neck and say, you know what, I've had a great time, you know, having an impact and getting to be around you and come to your school. And um, I even think of some of the, like, elementary schools in Inglewood that, you know, it's cool when an athlete goes and visits, right? But it's even cooler when they come back again. And that's what those kids really want to know. Do you actually care? Or is this just really about you? And so I think of some of those times I've made a second, third, fourth visit and hearing kids say things like, wow, you really came back. Um, and so this, that investment in this community and now pulling it off and winning a Super Bowl, um, I, I, I think that we would probably be leaning to retiring as Rams just because of what it's become to our family and, and really what it's become to us um, to be a part of something bigger than just us. I think it was fitting for you to finish your career the last year, man, as Super Bowl champion, as the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And, bro, we've been trying to get this done, I mean, probably since the show's inception. You were a little busy for the first month and a half or so, but as soon as you were done, man, we wanted to get an opportunity to sit down with you. Uh, so we're just so grateful uh, that you gave us the time. Um, Cincinnati is, is better because you went there. Los Angeles is better because you're still here. But, man, Louisiana is always going to be home, man. All of us are so proud of you, bro. So appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Y'all have done an amazing job. I love watching, paying attention to all the guests and how fun y'all have with them, man, and just the conversations. I mean, creating these kind of conversations that matter and, and that need to be had and people need to hear. It's just I couldn't have more respect and uh, couldn't be more proud of y'all, man. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Oh yes, sir. Appreciate you, Congrats. When you retirement, man. Make hey. some more babies. Do you want to touch it? <laughs> I ain't not going to touch that shit. <laughs> you sure? No, man. Uh, I ain't hey. never nerve. It'll be one. so tainted. It'll be so tainted if you touch it anyway. Please just look. Fuck you. It, it pissed me off every time I see one. Hey, long as you don't let him put his lips on it, man. It's forever contaminated. You're right then. about that. Hey. Hold up. Limitless. Take a simic cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach count, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up.